there. There's four, basically there's four applications that we'll take tonight and, and maybe come back to these passages, this passage, and, and try to dig into it a little bit deeper and understand not only the meaning of it, but then how, what other things that we can draw from, the lessons that we can draw from that. So it's, it, the attempt is tonight. So we have four things there. Have some scripture references that we'll look at each one of those. I thought maybe tonight too as well uh, get some of you to read them with me. So we get to those if you want to be you're quick on the draw and uh, you can get over there then we'll, we'll read some of these verses that go along. There's namely a pretty good sized one in 1 Corinthians 2. I'd like for someone else to read if they get a chance. But um, let's go back to the, the passage and read it again. Matthew 5 and verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Been messing with that one for a couple of weeks. Whosoever therefore shall break one of the least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So we'll have four little applications here. I don't have any discussion questions at the end, but if you have, uh, this is not a, a an unfamiliar passage to many people, so if there's there's uh, comments that you would like to say, uh, give at the end, or if you have a question, I'll do our best to, between all of us, we'd probably come up with, a, with an acceptable answer. Uh, one of the things that's not on here, because I don't really know how to list it, and maybe it's just an observation, maybe it's just something that I, I gather, uh, that mean, maybe it means something and maybe it doesn't, but if you notice that at the very beginning, the negative thing that Jesus gives uh, is directed to people. Um, he says that uh, if you if you relax the law, you'll be least in the kingdom of heaven. But if you keep the law and do the law, you'll be great in the kingdom of heaven. But in both in in both cases, you're in the kingdom of heaven. But then he gets to the next verse and he says. Unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes, you won't get into the kingdom of heaven. So I was reading this this week, and um, I didn't really spend a lot of time studying it, but it's just something that I keep think, I keep noticing as I read through it that uh, there's 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 something there. Even if you relax the law, you're in the kingdom of heaven. But it's the people who that don't have the right righteousness, the proper righteousness, they're not in. Uh, they're not in at all. So. It, it, Interesting there. It might be worth some, some uh, investigation there. But let's look at these four that are listed that I actually have something to comment about with them. The first one is uh, very close to what we talked about this morning, and that is outward obedience is not enough. And we really had to see some of the outside supporting passages um, to, to recognize this. But we looked at the passages in Matthew 22 and 20, uh, 22 and 23, about how the Pharisees lived life and how they how they uh, behaved, and it was it was just a, a external religion, if you will. Uh, then 
when we, we compare it to what Jesus says here, we see that outward obedience is not enough for Jesus. With our with our kids, raising our kids, with our our own lives, sometimes it's easier just to get um, people to behave on the outside. As long as they're doing what they're supposed to do on the outside, then that's good enough. I, as a as a working in Christian education for ten years, was uh, the first part of that was. Uh, my strong desire just to get people to just conform to the rules. Until you until you begin to see these people who conform and they never cause a problem, graduate and fly the coop because all they did was conform to the rules. And for the time that they needed to be, they they acted and behaved in the way that they needed to do and everybody was pleased with that until they get a chance to show what's truly on the inside and then what they really are on the inside comes out and says, now that I no longer have to, I no longer will. And so outward obedience is not enough. We see that uh, with kids. We see that with teenagers. But we also see that with adults. When we, when who we truly are eventually comes out and the outside actions will not change who you are on the inside. And so it's very important that we have the proper inside before we get the proper outside, or as I put here in my notes here, right heart is greater than right behavior. Now, we don't say that we only want to choose one or the other, but you start with one and you get the other. If you start with the wrong one, if you start with the right behavior, you'll never get the right heart. But if you start with the right heart, the right behavior will flow from that. That's what. Uh, that's why when uh, Samuel was told to go and look for a king among uh, Jesse's boys, he was looking at what on the outside, and God told Samuel, he said, God doesn't look on the outward appearance, he looks on the inside. And though David did not look like much of a king at that point, God knew who he was, and he can, he can fix the rest of that. He can grow him into the man he needs to be. Uh, but uh, we, are, we are limited in that capacity when we look at other people. So, and, and sometimes when we look at our own selves, as I said this morning, it's really difficult for us to measure heart. It's really difficult to, I mean, forget about measuring your heart attitude, my own heart attitude. It's really hard for me to measure that. It's really hard for me to decide, am I loving like I'm supposed to? Am I loving more than I did yesterday? Am I, am I meeting that requirement, if you will? And so it just becomes natural for us to say, you know what, I can measure, I can measure, how often I go to church. I can measure how much Bible I read every day, and especially when I compare it to how much you're doing. When I compare all my good works to yours, and it becomes very external, and then we be, and then that's where religion becomes more of a competition. It becomes a contest of outward righteousness. And those things aren't wrong to do, but they're done with a different motive. And they're done, um, eventually, they're not done at all because they're not done with the proper heart behind them. And so a right heart is better and is and is more necessary than the right behavior. And as, as uh, we continue into the sermon, beginning with verse 20, but going into the, the next few things, especially the first two that Jesus brings up there, I think it's uh, uh, anger in your heart and adultery in your heart. Uh, we see that the importance of a, having a proper heart condition. The first two that he mentions there is uh Hating or don't murder or don't hate your brother. And the other one was don't commit adultery and don't uh, look on a woman and lust after in your heart. Both of those 
he's, he's focusing on the heart condition. Not so much the outward condition, but the, the, uh, the, the behavioral. Now, does, does Jesus say he's not, well, okay, let me answer my own question. He's not saying it's okay to commit adultery as long as you don't commit lust in your heart. Or it's okay to murder as long as you don't hate the guy that you're murdering. He's not saying that. He's saying we back it up and we say more, we're getting to the root of the problem. We are going to, uh, we're going to work in the heart. And that's a work that you can't do on your own. You can't fix it yourself. You can't work on your own heart and make yourself a better person. That's what we see this, this, uh, this uh, teaching of imputed righteousness, uh, especially in the book of Romans there. So the first thing that is important for us to understand in our own life, but it, it deals with, uh, this, you know, as a father, I, I see this as a parent, that I'm not just looking for my sons to display outward obedience. Do I want them to outwardly obey? Yeah, you betcha. Uh, because I can't see their heart. But I'm I'm desperately praying for their heart condition to be right, and I'm and you know as parents we begin we look at trying to see those signs of their heart with me. You know, you ever you ever uh, discipline your kid and you just look at them and you just see a stone wall. You can just tell it didn't work. Uh, the other day, uh, one of them uh, qualified for spankings, and um, he uh, made it through the test and just looked at me. I was like, oh. A little later, I said, "Buddy, guess what? You just you just graduated." He's like, "To what?" I said, "More, more spanking. Next time you're getting, you're getting more because that number didn't work, <laughs> and uh, uh, we had to we had to modify the, uh, the 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 it was but it, it was it was in a positive tone. So he graduated uh, to this new level of punishment because I could tell, though the outside was affected, uh, the inside had not changed." And the very next time that it happened, uh, there was an immediate, and, and just if parents, if you've ever had to discipline a child, you can tell when you've, you've touched their hearts <laughs> uh, by, uh, by disciplining them. You can tell when there's, and you know what, all of us uh, have, well, not all of us, but I'm sure that you, if you have more than one child, then you've dealt with, you have the one kid who all you have to do is look sternly at them, and they're just bawling, and you don't have to go and ground them for a week and, and give them 50 lashings either. But then there's those other kids that they would just love for you to look at them and say, I'm so disappointed in you. Because that's not going to get anywhere with them. And, you know, the, the, the spankings or the groundings or the restrictions or whatever it may be, we all uh, respond differently to different disciplines. But the important thing is getting to the heart. And as a parent, that's what I'm always trying to explain to my son. It's not spanking, it's not grounding. I'm trying to get you to understand you can't do this. And whatever it takes for you to get the message, that's all I'm going to do. You just seem to be so thick-headed that it takes me all of this you to finally get it. And as I say this, the Holy Spirit's like, sound like anyone else you know, Tim. You know, because I'm, I'm that way. Uh, and sometimes it takes a good, you know, whapping, whack in the back of the head for God to get my attention. Hey, it could have been a lot easier if you'd respond. And it's all about getting the heart to change rather than the outside obedience. So in our own personal lives, looking at other Christians, it's not just about looking at, oh, well, so-and-so's here every Sunday. They must be a good Christian. Not always. Well, so-and-so does this. And so-and-so, you know, we, if we begin to base a person's spirituality on their outward actions, we, we get into dangerous territory. Although, I'm just, you know, but I, I also have to say, it's very difficult for us to look at anything else because that's really all we have. That's why Jesus, 
tells us, you know, that we are we're judged by our works. So we are judged. Maybe it's not fairly either way, but uh, it is it, it, not enough. And that's what we're trying to get out of this passage here. Specifically, this passage, outward behavior is simply not enough. Number two. This one, I have, want to be careful that you understand what I'm saying. Uh, the Old Testament still matters today. I changed one of those words uh, earlier. Uh, in, but I had originally, a, the Old Testament still applies today, but I felt that that might be a little bit confusing uh, for someone who just read it and, let, and didn't come back tonight to understand it. I don't mean that we need to start performing animal sacrifices and uh, things as, as, of that nature. What I am saying here is that uh, the exactly what Jesus said here, that the, the Old Testament applies to conditions until heaven and earth pass away and until all is fulfilled. So let me ask you a question. Has heaven and earth passed away? It has not passed away. In fact, go to Revelation 21, please. Let's look at what John tells us about heaven and earth passing away. Revelation 21 and verse number 1. This is the end of the Bible. So we know that it's a lot. It's, it's definitely not already happened. It's definitely going to happen eventually, but it hasn't happened yet, right? So we read Revelation 21.1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sin. He's talking about the New Jerusalem. He's talking about the Holy City. That is what Jesus is speaking of here. So the first condition has yet to be met. Even at Jesus' time, it had not been met, but that condition has not been yet. It's the same earth. It's the same heaven. Uh, and then the second part is that the, the law will remain until all has been fulfilled. Now, not everything has been fulfilled. Are we? Is everything completely done? No. Jesus has died. Messiah has risen again. He has, uh, the Holy Spirit has been come, and all of that has been prophesied. But there are still things yet to come. Do we not agree? The Revelation tells us these things. So not all has been fulfilled, and not all, uh, and the heaven and earth have not passed away yet. So what does that mean to us? Well, we are not going to get into all the possible nuances of that, of that answer, but, uh, there, just a broad stroke here, the law still has some type of meaning to us today. All of Genesis through Malachi means something to us, and it's more to us than just stories. It's more to us, non-Jews, than just, oh, well, that's how they did it back then, but this is how we do it now. Uh, there are points of the law that are still necessary even for us to pay attention to, uh, and but then there are other things that are in the law that are no longer necessary to observe because they have been fulfilled. Namely, animal sacrifices. What was the purpose? Someone tell me, please. What was the purpose of the animal sacrifices in the Old Testament? But greater purpose than even that, than just the shedding of blood, because did that forgive their sins? No, it didn't. So what was the purpose of the Jews every time they slit the animal's throat and did all the ceremonial parts of it? It was to look forward. It was to point to who? To the Lamb of God. Okay. So once the Lamb of God has come, and as Hebrews tells us, once for all, 
fulfilled. Filled to the full. Now there's no, that's why we don't do animal sacrifices anymore. We don't need to. Because it, what that pointed to, right. Accomplished. Check the box. We don't have to do that anymore. There are other parts of the law, Todd? Why don't they? Do they still? Orthodoxy? I know I've read some things uh, before now, in the time between Jesus and now, uh, specifically in the New Testament times, because of their displacement and because they were not allowed to do some of the things that they did, they adopted the spirit of the law and so that those who truly wanted to follow Jesus uh, followed the spirit of it. Um, but also we get from that that they began to interpret, well, okay, you can't do this, so we'll do this instead. And so there was there was a little bit of man's involvement in readjusting to, to fit the lifestyle. Uh, but I, I, I couldn't tell you uh, exactly why to answer, answer the question why they don't today. So that's probably a good one. Dan Wood should fly him over here just so we can ask him. Uh, the... the um, uh, the, the, so the messianic prophecies, those uh, have been, those were fulfilled, and so the things that apply to Messiah, they're done. So we don't have to think about it. Now there are other things that do apply. For instance, let's talk about the Ten Commandments: Thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not steal. All those things, those are re, uh, reapplied in the New Testament. Now, was it wrong to kill because it was in the Ten Commandments? Not to. Meaning, was it wrong? Was it okay to kill before God wrote it down on, the, on one of the tablets of stone? No, it's still wrong. So it's it's not just a a law thing. That's a Cain did it before there was law, and so it was wrong before the actual law was written. So it's that, that there are some things that are kind of above the law, if you will, or they predate the law, and they still apply to us today. Now there's some other things. We had an interesting conversation this afternoon about the, the Sabbath day and why that does or doesn't get. You know, looked at and remembered and observed the same way it does. Uh, and I don't feel like I'm particularly qualified to keep uh, to carry on a long conversation about that one, so we're not going to uh, take the time tonight to, to, to look at that one. But the, this, is, this is what, uh, this is what Jesus is, is, is trying to explain there. I really have to be careful. I don't like saying Jesus is trying to explain because he doesn't try to do anything. He just does it. We're just not catching it if, if it doesn't make sense. But Jesus is explaining these things because that the law still has a purpose at that time specifically, but that means the same that it applies to us as well. Uh, Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.8, he says that the law is good as long as it is used lawfully or used, it is interpreted correctly. And so Paul, the one who wrote so much about grace and that we're no longer under the law and all these things, also was the one who wrote, hey, the law is good. Uh, uh, Paul wrote in Romans there, he says that I, 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 with my mind, I love the law. It's, 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 I want to, I want to obey the law, but then with my, with my body, I don't want to obey the law. I, I, so there's, there's a purpose in Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, who recognized what the law meant as a, and as a Christian, could interpret that the way that Christ wanted it interpreted. He said that the law does have a purpose, even in the New Testament. Though it may not necessarily be exactly what it was done done back then, it does have a purpose. Let's take let's stay with the animal sacrifices for a few for a few. Does the does the fact that Jesus um, 
has already come, does that mean that the animal sacrifices no longer do anything for us? Well, they don't in the same way that they did then, but they do have some benefit for us today. There's, there's still a benefit, a, a, an advantage to the Christian who studies the Old Testament sacrificial system of, of, the, of, uh, of the law. And that mainly is that it teaches us about Christ. We study those things and we understand, you know what? We see that in Jesus' life. And as we, as we study the, the, the final days that Jesus spent on this earth and his, his, that, that week as He uh, enters into Jerusalem as the spotless Lamb and we begin to see the very many similarities how Jesus perfectly uh, displayed Himself as the spotless Lamb of God and how He um, perfectly pictured that on the same day that as the Passover uh, lamb would be uh, brought and inspected by the people and then killed and all of these things. That was that was Jesus. And so as we study the Old Testament law, that we're not no longer we're no longer required to observe as they did. There is still something there for us. So it does, so that means that we don't need to just carry around our New Testaments because the, real, the Old Testament doesn't have anything else for us. Uh, and and that and that's a danger if we don't if we don't grasp the importance and the weight that the Old Testament still carries to, for us today. Here's just another kind of extra thought on that, is that when the heavens and the earth pass away, the New Testament will be as helpful to us in heaven as the Old Testament. It's there now. We, we don't need to uh, the, 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 the written word, if you will. We have the word. We live with, with God in heaven. So, there's there's a, there's there's a benefit though it may not necessarily be in the same way. Uh, Christ's followers are not excused from keeping God's laws, not necessarily because they are the Jewish law, but because they're God's laws. Christ's followers are not excused to go out and live as though they as however they want. Paul wrote that they are freed to keep the law. Really, because I can't properly keep the law until Christ makes me righteous. Until then, anybody can go out and not murder. Anybody can go out and not cheat on their wife. Anybody can uh, not tell a lie. But does that mean that God is pleased with them? No. It is, it is only when I am made righteous by God, then I can uh, adequately do the righteousness of the law. So that uh, we looked in Romans this afternoon or this morning about the keeping the right, make uh, God fulfills the righteous requirement within us. Uh, we must, so then for us, the application here is that we must not neglect to study the law and to study the prophets, or in other words, study the Old Testament, because the law and the prophets point us to Christ. They pointed the people of that day and time, the prophets, the people that lived in the prophets' day and, and time, were being pointed to Christ or ahead to Christ, and as we read them, we are pointed back to Christ. And everything that we read in the Old Testament is not for us to try to twist into how to have a happier life or how to have a better life. It's to point us to Christ as well. And to say, you know what? I can't, on my own, I can't keep the law just as the people in the, in the Old Testament couldn't keep the law. I need the Savior that came. I need that spotless lamp, whatever, uh, where, however those Old Testament applications are. So as we read the Old Testament... And I would encourage you to do so and encourage you to study it when we do it through the lens of looking for Christ. Number three, we should, inter we should seek to interpret Scripture the way that it was intended to be interpreted. 
Uh, and this is how we can be sure that the Old Testament is still applicable to us today if we interpret it as it was intended. Now, if we look at it from a point of view, well, you know what? That was just the three Hebrew boys in the fire. You know, okay, how can I turn this into something? All right, when you're going through the fire, you know, they literally went through the fire. We use that as a, as a, as a, as a term to talk about going through tough stuff. But if, if that's all, if that's the only level we take it to, well, when you're going through the fire, God will be with you. Is that wrong? That you're going through the fire and God will be with you? Oh, God will always with you. Based on the New Testament, I am with you always. But that's, there's more to it there. Well, when, you know, when you, uh, make a golden calf in your life, uh, and you forsake God, then, you know, we begin to make these, these, uh, these, these statements of truth that Though some of them are true, we don't go deep enough into understanding what they are. So it's important as we study the Scriptures, Old Testament and New, that we interpret them in the exact same way that God wanted us to understand them. Here's the thing. When I interpret the Scriptures using man's wisdom, using my own wisdom, I arrive with a man's understanding. If I start out interpreting the Scriptures and I use my own wisdom, at the end, I only come up with my own wisdom. And I end up making man's applications. I end up doing things that make sense to me because that's all I've had to work with. But, and, and, and not but, but when, I have an improper interpretation of God's law, it leads to dangerous misapplication of the truths. We won't go into those uh, particulars there, but it's it's definitely not helpful, and it and it and it can be dangerous. We saw in the lives of the Pharisees that led to hypocrisy, when we have a misinterpretation of what the scriptures actually mean. But when we come with a proper interpretation, we are both helped to live this life, but we are also informed better as we make better understanding of of the rest of the scriptures. You follow, you follow what I'm saying there? I want, I want to ask you to turn to second, I'm sorry, first Corinthians chapter two, and let's understand how then we can interpret those scriptures properly. So first Corinthians chapter two, and here's where I'd like to get, someone would like to read, uh, verses seven through sixteen. First Corinthians two, seven, and reading on through verse sixteen. To the end of the chapter. Volunteers? Not all at once. All right, I'll read it. I don't like speaking in public. First Corinthians two seven. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would have not crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love. God hath revealed them to unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now, we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teaches, 
comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judgeth all things, yet he himself is judged as no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Quotation from our verse from an Old Testament prophecy. But we have the mind of Christ. So some very interesting things that Paul is writing to the Corinthian church here, saying that this, this, this knowledge of God is a mystery. And, and as he begins there, and, and as I began there in the, in the passage there, the wisdom of God is a mystery, and, we, and it's spoken in that way. How then can that be discerned? Uh, we, we've, verse number 9 is a, is a pretty popular verse. I've heard it many, many times quoted as what God has waiting for us in heaven. God has prepared wonderful things in heaven, you know, the many mansions and, and all of those things. But that's not what 1 Corinthians 2.9 is primarily talking about, if at all. Because he's, he's not saying the things that we're going to one day see when we die and go to heaven, because he says in verse number 2 that God has revealed them to us. They're already revealed to us. The wisdom of God is what he's been talking about, and they are, uh, they are uh, it's not entered in the heart of man the things which God has prepared for them that love him. God has already revealed them to us. How? By his Spirit. And as he goes on to explain, he says, what man, verse 11, what man knows the things of a man better than that spirit of that man? I mean, who knows what Larry Spinks is thinking better than Larry Spinks? He's, he's got his own spirit. He understands. And so if we're going to understand what God means, we're going to need the Spirit of God. Okay, so you know what you mean when you... Have you ever been mis, misunderstood by someone? If you're married, probably that's yes. But you said something, they took it a totally different way than you meant, and maybe you realized right away, or maybe you... It took you a long time to realize, no, 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 that's not what I meant at all. I meant something different. Why? Because they don't have your spirit to understand what you mean. Okay, so if I'm going to read God's words, I want to understand what God means, I need God's spirit. Because God knows what he meant. God's not trying to figure out, man, I was confusing then. I have no idea what I meant. Hold on, what do you think? No, God knows what he means on that. He's got a reason that he gives us these things. And so God gives us His Spirit who guides us in the truth and teaches us all things. There it says He searches, in verse 10, searches all things, the deep things of God. And we have that Spirit. That's why at the very end of the chapter, He says, we have the mind of Christ. And so therefore, it is important for us to understand the Scriptures through the mind of Christ. It is important for us to interpret the Scriptures the way that Jesus interpreted them. It's important that we look at what the Scriptures are saying and not look at them from a man's point of view, from a human being's point of view, and say, well, you know, how can I take this to, to, to make my life better somehow? A lot of people use the Word of God to be a self-help book, to try to fix life right now, to try to fix my kid, or fix my husband, or fix my job relationship, or whatever it may be. But that's not what the Bible is for. The Bible is there to, for God to show us Himself and for God to teach us what He wants us to know, not for us to figure out how we can apply these things in whatever area of life we want them to. And there's a whole list of, of, of verses and, and things in the, in the Bible that have been that mean one thing, but they sound so much better when I use them over here. 
and it works for people. It goes well on a pillow or a, or a coffee cup, but it doesn't really mean that. And, and if we're going to uh, try to use the Bible in our own lives or in the lives of other people, if we're going to use the Bible to help other people, we really got to know not only what it says, but what it means. Because you, you know as well as I do that we can take any verse of Scripture, isolate it from the rest of the Scriptures, and make it say whatever we want. You've heard, you know, I told you the classic uh, uh, sermon text when I was in college was Jesus swept. And so you should sweep the bus too. You know, if you don't understand that, uh, read John 11.35 sometime. Uh, but, you know, because no one wanted to sweep the bus <laughs> Sunday night. Jesus swept, so if you want to be like Jesus, grab a broom. There's a, you know, a slight misinterpretation, uh, even a misreading of, of what the Scriptures actually say. Now, I don't think that any of us are going to go that crazy with that, but it does happen very, very, um, very, very often. Uh, it happens with uh, people that we hear on the radio, with people that we read that, that publish their book. Just because they have a radio show or just because they published a book doesn't mean that they got it right. Or just because they have a bunch of degrees on their name or they work at a, a or they have a big church doesn't mean that what they're saying got it right. And so. We don't have to rely on, well, I guess that guy knows what he's talking about, so I guess I'll believe him. We have the Spirit of God ourselves, and we can study the Scriptures, and we have the Spirit who searches the deep things and guides us in those truths. Not minimizing the importance of having other people around us to teach us and to help us and to, and to, and to explain things to us, but uh, we, have to, we have to be careful that we don't interpret the Scriptures in a way that they were not intended to be interpreted. Last one here. Christians are expected both to do and to teach God's demands. When Jesus said that those who uh, do, uh, don't do and teach others to not to the, the least commands, and then those who do and teach the commands, notice that they both had, to, they had something in common. They were both being done and they were being taught. And we've already seen that in the very beginning uh, chapters of Jesus' ministry as he trains his disciples but it, we're going to continue to see that, that he wants us to do what he says, but he also wants us to teach others to do what he says. Let's look in uh, two places, Matthew chapter 28 and uh, then with 2 Timothy 2, 2. Matthew 28 is the, the last verse there of the Great Commission. And I'm sure you can quote it by heart, knowing exactly what, what I'm going to uh, highlight here. But Matthew 28 and verse number twenty. Well, I'll back it up because it's hard to isolate this all by itself. Back it up to verse number 19 there. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I commanded you. He says, do what I told you to do, and then teach others to do what I told you to do, what I told them to do. Teach them to teach others to do what I told you to do. Teach them, And it goes on and on and on and on. God wants His disciples to be followers and teachers. One other, one other passage is in 2 Timothy 2.2. This is also a pretty familiar verse. 2 Timothy 2.2. It says, And the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. The point that Paul was making to Timothy here is, I taught you some things. Don't let it stop with you. Pass it on to other men. But pass it on to other men who will also teach others. Don't pass it off and let that be the dead end. Find teachers. 
God wants doers and he wants teachers. That's all of them. And the teaching doesn't necessarily mean getting a lectern and getting a crowd and having an appointed scheduled time where you're going to uh, teach the Word of God. It doesn't, mean that, it doesn't only mean that. It means, it means passing the truth along to other people, whether it be as a parent to a child, whether it's over a cup of coffee at a, at a restaurant somewhere, whether it's uh, sitting in a living room there and explaining and talking about it. It could be in a Sunday school. It could be in a church service. But we all, as followers of Christ, are expected to do what he says and to teach others to do the same. And if you want a, you know, a list of am I following Christ, let's start with those two. Am I doing what he says and am I telling anybody else uh, what Jesus wants? This is discipleship. Again, it's a focus not only on me. If Jesus was only focused on you growing as a Christian, then he would say, hey, do what I told you to do. But he's not just focused on you. And he doesn't want you to be focused just on you. He wants us, me and you, to be focused, yes, on our own spiritual growth, but also on others. Focused on you. I'm focused on your growth. And and, and, and you're focused on other people's growth. And, and, and we've got to be careful because later on he's going to talk about well, hey, don't 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 walk up to someone who's got a little splinter in their eye and you got a big old two by four sticking out and try to fix their mistakes. First, take the beam out of your own eye. And he doesn't say, and then leave the other guy alone. He says, and then you will be able to help the guy with the little splinter in his eye. So it does start with me, but it doesn't stop with me. And that's what following Jesus means. It is becoming righteous and it is doing righteousness. And what is righteousness? It is doing what Jesus said and teaching others to do the same. So these are our four, uh, the four applications that I have. Uh, we already had a little bit of a, a question here.